Hello and welcome and good Wednesday. I just got back from the 4th of July and boy are my arms tired. That wasn't funny. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, with David Cooper, and I'm your host, David Cooper. It's This Is Going Well, I Think, the show where no one's listening and no one cares, the show where every episode's the last episode. We are here with veterinarian and personality, Dr. Cliff Redford. The guy goes around the world helping animals. He goes to war zones. He's a better person than me. We're going to talk all kinds of things, including a new documentary that he's been working on. Guy's a lot of fun. You're going to love this interview. Cliff, Dr. Cliff Redford, you recently told me you were coming to New York to look at my pussy. Is that the only reason you're coming to New York? Uh, no, but that is definitely the main reason uh, to look at your pussy cat. I may, Are you actually going to come over and meet Tomato, my cat? Sure. You did understand what I meant when I said that was kind of a fruity name, right? Like that wasn't a, a slur. Do you know tomato is a fruit? I, and my understanding is fruit and vegetable means nothing in, uh, in when people are like doing botanical research and classification. <laughs> fruit and vegetable is just what we say. Uh, but if you want to like categorize things scientifically, yes, the tomato well, the tomato is together with things that we call fruits. Yeah, I mean, I'm a veterinarian, so I'm not a real doctor, but I, I'd like to say I'm a scientist. Well, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm i a computer scientist. Uh, I am the lowest form of engineer. I'm a software engineer. So I kind of can relate in some sense. Okay. Just like I can tell people I'm an engineer, but when I'm around people who actually build real things and do real engineering work, they make fun of me. Is it like that when you're around doctors? Uh, it's actually, to be honest, it's probably the opposite. Most doctors say you have the cooler job. Yeah, because you get you to do can... a little bit of everything, right? I get to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, like... And, and you don't, if you don't need to be an expert, you can do everything. And if a little foo-foo dies, you know, one in a hundred die because you knew how to do everything. Whereas if you were an expert... Those, uh, are, those are pretty good odds. Come on, let's yeah. uh, let's not be overconfident here. One in a hundred? Jeez. Um, okay, I have an important re question for you. What's the deepest your hand has ever been inside an animal? Uh, well, I used to do large animal medicine, so how long's my arm? I don't know. And what, what animal? Are we talking horses, hippos? Horse, cow, pug. I mean, pug? a little bit of everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can, I mean, eventually your hand gets so far, the pug is a puppet. Uh, that's gruesome. <laughs> I should introduce you to uh, my good buddy, Dr. Steve. He's a veterinarian and eye specialist in California, but he's also a writer. He wrote a kind of a comedy sci-fi fiction, like science fiction novel that is a cross between Doctor Who and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. And it starts off when this guy does a digital rectal exam on a pug. He's a veterinarian. He does a digital rectal exam on a pug and triggers a transdimensional like portal. portal. I love yeah. that. <laughs> a portal inside the, the pug's portal. Yeah. Porthole. The pug's porthole. A porthole. Port That's right. No, yeah. So a lot of doctors, they're they're pretty impressed by what we do and and especially family doctors, because you go to your family doctor and as soon as you got something cool, a lump, 
a chest problem. They got to send you somewhere else. Go see someone else. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I'm diagnosing everything and often not referring because the families trust me for some reason. And also, I'm a lot cheaper than the specialist veterinarians. So. Well, if we're talking about portholes, uh, one of my listeners, uh, the listener, my only listener, some guy complained that I haven't actually been talking about my anal fissure uh, the last two or three episodes. It's something that I was talking about. Uh, I got my first rectal exam uh, a month or two ago. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. And what she, was her name? Uh, yeah, her name was, I guess I don't want to say my doctor's name, but she just oh. like sprung it on me. Oh, it was, it was from a doctor. I didn't realize. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't, it's a no go zone down there. Cause it's, I mean, I have a fissure, you know, and it's painful, ah. um, but yeah, I just, she sprung it on me. Like I was just sitting, you know, taking my heart rate and she's like, we're going to do a rectal exam. I'm like, Jesus, I wish you would have told me I would have come with, I don't know, different underwear or something. <laughs> she likes to see her victim i mean her patients in their natural uh state anyway it was really painful and then she's like so you have a fissure i'm like ah what does that mean uh i do you know anything about fissures do animals get fissures what's going on with fissures yeah they get uh they get what are called anal gland fistulas Ooh. which is essentially a fissure i want to talk about the anal glands let's put a pin in that but still with the fissures yeah i mean it's basically a whole it's usually a whole or, a, or a, a, a space coming from another hole, essentially. So this is a hole kind of coming from your rectum, yeah. colon, depending on how far up it is. So this anal, okay, so fissures aside, who cares? I've been talking about it for weeks now. The anal glands of animals are like uh, an important scenting function, aren't they? It's like a weird, you know, organ uh, that, that we have evolved I mean, not to have an animal. Tell me about the anal glands. Yeah, thank goodness we don't have them, right, as far as I know. I have a crackpot evolutionary theory as to why we don't have them, which we'll get to in a second. But tell me what they are. All right, I'm going to love to hear that. Um, so they're actually pretty vestigial in cats and dogs, meaning they're left over from when they were related to things like skunks, but they don't really have a purpose anymore, kind of like our appendix. Uh, and like our appendix that occasionally bursts, sometimes the anal glands do as well. But uh there may be some scent function to them because they're going to contain the scent or the aroma specific to that animal, but so will the oil glands in the fur. So will everything, right? So Okay. So it's not like the single most point of scenting, but they may well use it as part of a multi-organ, multi-gland scenting thing where they're communicating via smells. Exactly. Yeah. But but I'd remove them and the dog does fine. They're not they're not social outcasts if you remove their anal glands. My cat's on the bed. He's purring, and then there's these like brown liquid spots every now and again. That's from the anal gland, right? Yes. Is it poop or is it different than poop? It just happens to be brown. No, it's di it's much different. It's kind of a cirrus seborrheic, which is like an oily substance um, coming specifically from the anal gland and. Yeah, it's just, it connects to the edge of the rectal sort of sphincter. And they normally should express normally, like sort of easily, just a drop or two every time they have a bowel movement. But occasionally they get uh, too full. Maybe there's not enough fiber in your pussycat's diet. Well, I'd say it's once every two weeks he makes a... Uh, that's that's uh, a fair uh, bit. About the size of, I don't know, grain of rice. Most cat and dog owners never experience anal gland leakage from their cat or dog unless there's 
like an obstruction or an infection. Should I give you some cash under the table? Like, I feel like we're so neurotic when we go to the vet, we have a list of like a hundred things and 99 of them are not a problem. And by the time we get to any one of them that might be the problem, the vet has pegged us as problem customers. Are you saying you got 99 problems and your bitch is one of them? <laughs> My pussy's one of them. But, uh, you know, you, I'm sure you, you know the song, right? You know of the song? Of course I know. Okay. You were expecting me to laugh. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm sure you've dealt with this pet owners that uh, are just so intense and love their pets so much. And every little thing, yeah. every little ding, every little scratch is a problem. And so it's hard to get to what's really real or not because they're basically, I don't know, hypochondriacs by proxy. And so I feel like we were those owners. So like I never got to the anal gland expression with my vet because I was too busy worrying about something else. Yeah. And you don't express it unless there's an issue. So, you know, but I would definitely bring it up. They may mention that maybe your cat's got food allergies. I will see. I'm going to come check her out. Him. And we're going to we're going to see what's going on. Not all cats are girls. Like there's some cats who are men and there's some dogs who are women. She's not a girl. She's a he's a boy. He's a boy. Okay. I don't, I don't know. Tomato's a masculine name. Like Is it? We were going to name him Barbara, which I feel is a very androgynous name. Uh, very unclear <laughs> whether Barbara is a man or a woman, but my girlfriend won with tomato. Let's get back to these I, anal glands. I'll tell you why I don't <laughs> think we have them. Even though okay. we, we share common ancestors with cats and dogs, uh, yeah. even, even though the earth is 5,000 years old and our Lord Jesus Christ created it. Other than that, we share common ancestors on the evolutionary tree with cats and dogs. Why do they have the anal glands? Why do we not? I'll tell you why. Mm. I don't think humanity, I don't think we would be here to talk if we still had them. I don't think humanity could have evolved to, into a civilized society if everyone's just leaking brown liquid from their butthole. So that's why I think we don't have them because I think our ancestors that had one had them, uh, everyone around was like, no, we can't have this guy coming to our parties. Yeah, we're not mating. We're not mating with that dude. Look, imagine you're having yeah. a house party and you invite all your friends and then like Jimmy over there in the corner is just leaking brown stuff from his butt all the time. You're not going to invite him to the party. Uh, and if he's not going to the party, he's never going to meet anyone. He's never going to have kids. Boom. He's done. There you go. What do you think? There you go. I think that I think I think you got it. You you hit it right. The nail on the head. You are a uh, you are a scientist. You are an evolutionary biologist. I'm an amateur evolutionary biologist. Uh, I'm an amateur gynecologist. I'm so many things. Uh, is this the worst interview you've ever done? Because every time I've interviewed you, it's been for like a serious radio network and I've been serious. Now you've got the real me. What do you think? Uh, I prefer this. <laughs> Good. Uh, um, I prefer this. It's, it's, it's a lot more natural. Good. I do want to talk about you. You've got a, a show that's premiering in, in the New York City TV Film Festival. Festival, that's a V, not a B, coming up in July. Festival, that's right. Yeah, July 17th, 18th. Mine screens on the 17th, which is my 50th birthday, so Jesus that's wicked. fucking Christ. Can you imagine? I'm going to come. I'm yeah, there. I'm exactly. there. I've, I've decided I'm coming. So there you go. You don't have to pay pay me to uh, to check out your cat. Come and support my film. Done. Uh, and it's open to the public. And it's, well, I mean, we met last time uh, when we were chit-chatting at Christmas time and I came down to New York. I had recently returned from India, my daughter and I. We had volunteered uh, in Hyderabad, India, which is down in the south, during the Festival of Lights, wow. uh, during a, a five-day celebration. Helping out animals and stuff like that? Helping out animals, working with Animal Rescue Group, and filming it for a documentary. And uh, we kind of joke that the Festival of Lights has a dark side because all those fireworks scare the crap out of animals and the anal glands. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, so we're rescuing. Let me put it this way. The film opens with me rappelling down into a well 
to save a dog that had fallen in before it drowns and it just gets kind of crazier and crazier from there. Believe it or not, I watched the trailer from, from for it and it starts with that like intense thriller music and the trailer yeah. delivers. It's kind like even that yeah. trailer's kind of a, a cliffhanger. People should look it up. Yeah. I think it's just called Dr. Cliff Worldwide Vet. Or is there like a website? Yeah, I mean if they if they just find me on uh Instagram, DR Cliff Worldwide Vet, but you can like your listeners, uh, my mom, my dad, who else? Um, Listen, is sing singular. Uh, well, I guess I have the one listener, and then your mom and dad, we're up to three. Okay, perfect. Uh, I don't know if they'll get this far, though. Um, I think the anal gland talk might have scared him away. Definitely my dad. My mom's probably laughing right now. Good. Uh, she's like, there's my boy. Um, they can check out nyctvf.com, New York City TV Festival.com and scroll down and they'll they'll find it great who cares nobody no I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah there you go that's fine <laughs> no you'll I, be there that's all that matters you're just you're like too you make me feel bad like the other day i was thinking about helping a little old lady cross the street i didn't do it but i thought about it and that's about as good as i am as a person here you are going to ukraine india you're going around the world helping animals yeah, it's uh, it's a midlife crisis that's lasting uh, about a decade. I, I remember when I first met you, I sort of asked you the question, why aren't you helping fucking people? Why help the animals? But you made a really convincing argument, and I want to tell you about something I read because it was about Hurricane <clears throat> Katrina, and nearly 50% of the people that stayed and lost everything while staying there did so because FEMA didn't let them, the emergency evacuation agency in the U.S., didn't let them take their pets. They had to either leave their pets uh, or be rescued or not leave their pets. 50% of people didn't. And a lot of those people died, had their homes destroyed with them in it, were had to be rescued, uh, might have lost the pets anyway. And then after yeah. the disaster, following up with all the survivors, for pet owners, the single most predictor of long-term like trauma, psychological effects, well-being after five, 10 years uh, is whether their pet was saved or not, not about their stuff. Like nobody gave a shit about their stuff. No one gave a shit about what they had in the attic. Honestly, for me, it's like you got all those papers, just get rid of them. Uh, but it's the yeah. pets. And I know it's a bit of a tangent. We're talking about a hurricane. We're not talking about going into war zones and disaster areas necessarily like uh, like Ukraine. But I think it for me, it speaks to the example when you help pets, you help people. And that was kind of the argument you made to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, my first trip, I went with my daughter. We went uh, late March a year ago. So it was right six weeks into the war. I remember you, You for some reason, you decided to talk to me beforehand. Uh, yeah, I think someone paid me. I don't know. Um, had I known, I probably wouldn't have done it. But, you know, uh, I, I agreed. So I'm a man of my word, David. Okay, I'm not. I'm done interrupting you. You and your daughter decide to go to Ukraine. Um, yeah, we went to the border. We went to the Polish-Ukraine border, worked at the refugee center because we knew people were crossing and they were with their pets, but obviously they didn't have time to grab vaccine certificates and paperwork about their pets or like many pet owners, it's not a good idea, but they didn't have their animals vaccinated, especially against rabies. And Poland wouldn't allow the animals in if they weren't vaccinated. And if they wanted to then go to Italy or go to, you know, any of the other France or Germany or any of the other countries in Europe, which a lot of the refugees were planning to do, they needed to have documentation. Um, so they would not leave their country at war unless we could at least vaccinate their animals, give them new paperwork and also make sure their animals were safe and healthy. 
that thing that I was talking about uh, with Katrina kind of applies here, at least mm-hmm. depending on the answer to this question. Did you observe that people at the border weren't going to leave uh, their war-torn country without their pets? Yeah, I mean, I guess no one really flat out said, hey, we're not leaving because they knew we were there. Like they knew there were people there to help them. Um, but like there was one gentleman, he was about 80 years old, you know, farmer man, strong kind of thing and farmer healthy. And he had carried his his elderly German shepherd on his shoulders like a scarf. Wow. Um, the last kilometer uh, after he sort of got dropped off by a caravan across the border to the next bus. Um, there was one lady who dropped off her pet goat, this baby goat, and she was not allowed to bring this animal uh, to where she was going, not because of laws, but because where she was going, they couldn't have a goat. And she basically left it at the shelter that we worked with, that we worked at, and basically said, when the war's over or when I can go back to my home, I'm coming back for my goat. Um, so there was, there was, you know, <laughs> We joke that there's probably more people that want to take care of their pets uh, at a time like that than their children. They're kind of like, ah, the kids can fend for themselves. Fend for themselves, yeah. Little uh, babushka, little fluffy has been uh, has been loyal to me for the last five years, so I'm going to take care of this thing. I never understood this stuff until I owned a pet, and now I only understand it for my pet. I still think it's ridiculous when other people love their pets too much, but like, I have nightmares that something happened to them, and like, I imagine the the conflict between me and my girlfriend if he gets sick, or and it's just. It's a lot. And I live in a, I'm very fortunate. I live in an apartment in a not a war-torn country with like a nice life, you know, and I still worry about my little pet. Now, what happened? Who's, whose cat is it really? I think the deal was when we got it, if we break up, she takes it. Uh, I would like to revisit that deal, but she would not like to. So we're still together. No, I'm kidding. There's other reasons we're together. <laughs> if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, I've been divorced and that's about all I can say with that. But if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. That that I can agree with legally. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, if if it ever if it is ever necessary, I will give you a reference that you are the true caregiver of tomato. <laughs> Signed by a vet. That's wild. I've had to do that before. I've had to write legal documents for divorce settlements. I'm sure you have. I guess they need a vet to just sign a piece of paper and say they they own this pet or they bought this pet. And without that, you can't prove to the court that that it's true. Well, it's more like out of the out of the husband and wife, who is the true primary caregiver? You're you're a gun for hire. You'll sign anything as long as someone pays you enough. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah, that's pretty much. That's all it is. (laughs) So you went to India. Is there more to what what we would see if we watched Dr. Cliff Worldwide Vet? Well, um, yeah, I mean, it's a 65 minute documentary. Um, let's say it's into, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, acts for acts. The first act is kind of an introduction of Emily and I, and it, and it involves not only a Fox coming to my clinic in Toronto, who actually, uh, red lines, like his heart stops twice during surgery. Wow. Um, it's pretty, uh, pretty crazy. This is a thriller. Like this is an on the edge documentary. It's tense. Yeah, it's tense and it's real. And obviously we didn't make any of this stuff up and we didn't retake anything. So it's a very, it's filmed in a very run and gun, fast paced, kind of amazing race type of, uh, type of film. For those who are just meeting you now, like who, who's Emily and, and kind of who are the cast of folks who were involved? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's primarily Emily and who's my daughter and I, and, and she's been traveling with me for the last three and a half years. So she's, 
been to the the first trip to Ukraine. She didn't come to the second one where I went deep into the war zone, so I didn't bring her with me. But she's been to India twice and Panama, um, as far as volunteering in Egypt as well. Um, so she's my, you know, she's my right hand girl, and she uh, she helps rescue the animals and deals with anesthetic complications and and she's my support when I'm there. Like th- this, as you said, this is I wouldn't say it's a horror, but it's definitely intense and emotional and good emotions and bad emotions. So sometimes you need someone that you can, uh, that you can hug and, and lean, lean into when things don't, uh, don't go right. And there are cases. Do you love doing this stuff because you get that range of emotion, you get the highs, the lows, you just feel alive while you're doing it kind of thing. It's not just that you go and you feel great all the time. Obviously you don't, obviously there's a lot of sorrow, heartbreak, destruction. Uh, is that why you go? Uh, I think so. Like, you don't feel great unless there's a possibility that you're going to feel shitty. Yeah. Right. Um, if, if you know, everything's going to work out great, then you're not, you're not relieved as much when it does go well. Um, so being able to release an animal, a wild animal, or even a street dog back onto the street, being able to release them back into the wilds feels extra special because maybe the day before you lost one on the table. Um, right. Or you had to make a decision to put it to sleep because, you know, was never going to be able to cope or live a pain-free life. So, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard for me to explain why I do it. I mean, I am a bit of a bit of an ADD sort of guy that I I just can't sit still. So I, I do enjoy getting out of the house and, 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 but I also, you know, like I volunteer once a week at my wildlife place and, uh, I don't know, I guess it, it pays for all the sins that I do. Uh, it keeps my moral compass even, maybe. Yeah, I'm sure. I will. Like, I'm. I'm just trying to get, paint a picture of like who you are, who you're trying to be. From my vantage point, you're you're hustling to make a career as a media personality, as a, a media vet. Yeah. Uh, I'm hustling to make a career as a media personality. I've had setbacks. I'm sure you have too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, as his radio show was canceled uh, six months ago. But anyway, uh, that's just. I'm trying to get to the why and the who behind it all. Yeah, like I started. If you talk about sort of. The media side so just on a whim i contacted uh, our little sort of tiny cable network 13 years ago rogers cable in newmarket north of toronto and did a live call-in show um, and i did that just for fun and it was an hour every sunday called your pet your vet that sounds so fun like you're just people it's like pet talk instead of car talk 100 percent. yeah so we did that and um and then that the bug hit me. So for a while, I was literally just knocking on strangers' doors who happened to be TV producers, trying to pitch them a veterinarian show. And they all kind of said, look, you're great in front of the camera, et cetera, et cetera. But how is this any different? What's your hook? And then at the time, about nine years ago, I started learning Mandarin. I have a lot of Mandarin clients. And a friend of mine has a rescue in Beijing. And she said, why don't you come and volunteer here for a month, practice your Mandarin? And that's when I realized, okay, there's my hook. It's going to be a fish out of water story. This Toronto veterinarian is going to go around the world. Um, the trip to Beijing never happened. There was some issues apparently with Westerners going in there and filming the treatment of animals. Of course. Um, so we did the next best thing. We went to Jamaica. How could that be any different? Just a slightly different country. Slightly different. Jamaica was a three-week trip seven and a half years ago. And I... Uh, I hired for free, uh, so I got a bunch of film students to volunteer to come with me, and I said, I'm not paying you, except I'll give you a free trip to Jamaica and all the booze 
you can drink at night as long as you're ready to work in the morning. And they all said yes. <laughs> they were fighting for it. And, um, you know, I just started and, and it was to film sort of sizzle reel stuff, right? Like yeah. to pitch an idea. Here's my here's my proof of concept. I want to rewind back a little bit before we move on to this call in show. You talk about the bug hitting you. What was that like yeah. the, the first time you realized like, oh, I want to I want to do something with an audience. I want to be a performer uh, like that first. Was it the first show when you did the call ins where you were like, wow, this is something I want to do or how did that happen? Uh, it probably happened after we we quit doing the show. We did it for a year. There was a, a gentleman that I met there who we've now become good friends, and he was a radio guy that was sort of my laurel to me being hardy sort of thing. That was probably the other way around. So when we when we quit after a year, just because it was kind of a pain in the butt dealing with these sort of community level network executives, mm-hmm. uh, and I use that term loosely, and then I missed it. And And to be honest, part of it is the thought of fame and what does fame bring and but it was it was fun and it wasn't until after Jamaica that I realized oh I love this volunteering I became such even just those three weeks in Jamaica I became such a better veterinarian that I'm going to keep doing this I'm going to keep traveling keep filming it sometimes with you know a camera person with a C300 let's say sometimes on my iPhone like when I was in Ukraine but if this never happens, if this show never happens, and I'm starting to get to that point, I'm still going to volunteer and travel. Like, it's such a blast. I mean, for me, you're saying exactly my journey, too, which is like, I love the work of doing long format interviews, you know, podcasting, be, being like like basically a late night TV personality in whatever format possible. I love doing that work so much that like mm. at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen or I don't have any success with it. Uh, that stuff's secondary to enjoying the work, so it won't have been a mistake. Uh, in yeah. that in that sense, I need to do it. Um, and I feel like that's what you yeah. just said to me. It's like you'd like to have success with it, but you want to keep doing the stuff whether the camera's on or not, whether anyone's buying the show or not. Is is that is that yeah. am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the 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 trip to India, the latest one with this film, I financed the whole thing myself and I will not do that again uh, for various reasons. Mostly I can't afford it. But I do recognize that, and before going, I do I did recognize that this may never work, um, though we've had some really good success with film festivals and, and we're starting to get some interest from, you know, mid-level streaming companies about maybe picking up the documentary at least. Um, and if the documentary does well on HBO or Hulu or whoever, Netflix would be amazing, then maybe it'll build a fan base so we can get a show. But I now know what my retirement and I use that term loosely, what my retirement looks like. Um, you know, when I'm literally not working at all at my clinic, I sell it. I'm not working for another vet clinic, not working part time. I'm still going to be traveling around the world. I'm just going to mix it in with some surfing. It's got to be like Costa Rica. I've already found a few animal rescues in Costa Rica. So I'll go and volunteer in Costa Rica during the morning, surf in the afternoon, evening, that sort of thing. This is where you and I differ. I'm a neurotic Jew. I'm not getting in the ocean. I've seen what fish do in there. They pee in there, first of all. Second of all, I'm not surfing. What if you? What if the board hits you in the head and you drown because you're unconscious? I'm not doing that, but uh, power to you. Dude, I surf. I picked up surfing three years ago in Lake Ontario. Oh, my God. I surf in Lake Ontario. The waves are big enough if the wind's in the right direction. They're very ugly waves. They kind of roll like hockey players and knock you off the board. But here's the kicker. I do it in the best waves are in February. Oh, my God. Psychotic. 
You're yeah, you're full. You're a lunatic, is what you are. We will surf in minus ten Celsius. So what is that Fahrenheit? Minus fifty? I don't know. I'm, I've been living in the U.S. ten years. I can't fucking do Fahrenheit. Yeah, but it's bo- well below zero. Well below zero, and I have a giant ice beard when I'm done, and the rest <laughs> of us look like fat penguins because we wear these eight millimeter thick black wetsuits, booties, mittens, the whole bit. And there's actually 10 of us out there. Like there's a community in Toronto of Great Lake cold water winter surfers. Great. So I'm interviewing a lunatic. That's fine. I, I just, I, you should tell people that up front that uh, you are unwell. You're mentally unwell. That is exactly why I go traveling. I should just leave with that. That is what sane person goes into Lake Ontario. First of all, period. Second of all, in the middle of February. Yeah, I thought it would be cold, but it's actually not. What do you got? What do you got? Like a, what, like a crazy wetsuit? I mean, what are you wrong? You're going, going bareback? What's going on? A normal wetsuit, say, you know, if you're if you're surfing in the cold waters of California and the waters are cold there, their wetsuit might be two or three millimeters thick, whereas which is a tenth of an inch, whereas our wetsuits are six to eight millimeters thick with hoodies, booties, mittens. The only thing that shows is our face. And even though my beard ices up. I'll send you a photo uh, later on. Please don't. My face is actually quite warm. Like you, you actually get to the point where you jump into the water while you're surfing because you've warmed up so much in your suit. Half it is that you end up peeing in your suit. So that kind of warms you up. But uh, there you go. And see, so you don't have to worry about uh, animals, fish peeing in the ocean because you're wearing a wetsuit with your own urine in it. So it's fine. Thank God we don't have anal glands. All right. Well, so uh, I don't know what else to say to you. We got the, we got the worldwide vet. We got what you do. We got the motivation behind what you do. How long have you been in the, I want to hear about you. How long have you been in the U S what's it like being a Canuck in the U S I'm getting used to it. It's been 11 years. Yeah. Are you becoming less civilized? Yes. I say things like America, like, oh, I'm, I'm going back to America. And I remember living in Canada. First of all, Americans don't call the U.S., quote, the states. That's something only foreigners do. And that's not just Canadians. Europeans call it the states uh, when they're speaking English. But Americans, for whatever reason, call the United States America, which isn't even taking claim over the continent they're on. It's taking claim over two continents, uh, which I think is very uniquely American in, in its grandiosity. But I say things like that. My accent's changed. I don't sound as Canadian. I, I was kind of playing up my Canadian accent when I had that job uh, on the radio for Bell. Okay. Because I would get these texts and emails from listeners being like, you don't know what the fuck's going on in Canada. Why is there a New Yorker on the air? My, yeah, my accent's changing. The words I use are changing. You find you're, you're, you obviously, you speak very quick. You're very quick-witted. Is that a New York thing or is that a David the Jew thing? Jewish thing. No, I <laughs> Jew thing. A little bit of both. What's with what's with your email then? Oh, Jew.pizza? Yeah. The Jew.pizza, yeah. It's, I honestly, it's just a fun domain name. There's nothing more to it than that. Right, that's um, what's it like living here? Things that I thought I could never compromise on, like living in a country with such a horrible gap between the very poor, the very rich, living in a country with such an awful social safety net, I mean, the healthcare thing, uh, the political system here is a goddamn nightmare. All these things that in Canada is just like, oh, haha. ha. Oh, some bad things are starting to happen in Canada, too. But it's always like a like the trucker rally was like a like a junior ver- junior varsity version of the January 6th. But yeah, yeah the, living in a culture where it's like normal to have guns. 
Like, I remember I got my first job in California and my coworkers like, we're, this is in San Francisco. It's a liberal city. They're like, oh, we're going to the gun range. You want to come? I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? You know? I mean, I've been to a gun range. It's a blast. But yeah, it's not something that, that I do regularly. Well, they, they own guns. I mean, they, they would like talk about their guns. And I, I, I when I first moved to the U.S., I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? Now I'm used to it. In the vet world, in the vet world, there's a very tragic story a couple of months ago in Texas where a disgruntled pet owner went in and shot and killed this male vet technician. His mom also worked there and she saw him die. Oh, awful. And we've got some friends in Texas in the, in the uh, veterinarian world. And they literally said to me, that's why I bring my gun to work. But it's all it's a catch 22 because everyone's, quote, bringing their gun to work and they live in a culture where guns are so normalized. You get things like that. Like if I wake up in the morning and I think, God, I'm I'm not well mentally and I want to kill the vet tech that, that hurt my pet uh, or, you know, whatever. If I wake up in the morning and think that in Canada, I think, oh, man, then I got to go there. How am I going to do it? Do I use a knife? I don't know how to use a knife. What kind of knife? What if he, I, he defends himself? You know, I think of how difficult it would be to do that in Canada. You know, it's not just like go to the Walmart and get a handgun. And then I think, God, I'm really lazy. I'm going to go back to bed, you know? And, and and I think that's why we have less incidents like that in Canada. I really do. It's not that it's not the lack of desire. Like, I'm sure you've had crazy thoughts in your head, but then you think, well, what are the consequences? And how difficult is this going to be to execute? Uh, and it's, pardon the pun there with execute. Uh, and it, without guns around, it becomes so much more difficult. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's probably not only the gun situation, it's probably also the the huge uh, social and economic gap. Yep. Um, there's so much more. I, I'm assuming. Yeah. There's so much more poverty, so much more sort of destitution and, and despair. And extreme wealth in the face of that, you know, tax avoiding wealth, a politically connected wealth. And it's not like this doesn't happen in Canada, but it's such an extreme in the U.S. It's not that I'm saying there's anything wrong with capitalism, but I think capitalism on both sides, on the very rich and the very poor, should have a little socialism mixed in to make things easier for those who are really poor and make things a little tough for those who are rich. I'm not saying you can't have a private jet. I'm maybe saying don't have two private jets. And I'm not saying you can't have an impoverished person. I'm just saying maybe that person should have a roof over their head and a little bit of food. Uh, And that's kind of my stance. And in Canada, it's a little bit more like that. It's not perfect. And in the U.S., it's just so extreme. And I thought I could never live here. And now, I don't know, I'm just used to it, apathetic to it. Yeah, I would assume New York is a little closer to Canada than, say, Florida. Yes. Culturally speaking. But San Francisco was very odd because it's ultra liberal, way more leftist than Canada. You know, like I vote NDP in Canada, whatever. I'm I'm uh, I'm on the quote unquote far left, although to me, they're just a regular left. They're not far left. Far left is like, you know, problem. Uh, yeah, like Marxist Leninists or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Far left is, yeah. you know, people's revolution, people's republic, single party. Just like our right is not far right. No, no. No, it's the, 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 in Canada, the conservatives are center right, the liberals are center left, and then the NDP are left. There's no one far yeah. around except for the fringe parties. Uh, in, yeah. the, in the U.S., you get like these parties that have far elements and then nor- like moderate elements, and they're all just together as one party trying to make it all work and it can't work and the corporation. I, you know what? I want to get into this. <laughs> but San Francisco was ultra left. And so that was kind of strange. Like people were more liberal than Canada, but they were like, I don't know. It was more politically charged. 
and there was like more of a reaction to it. It wasn't just normalized leftism where people just don't really complain about it all the time. Yeah, you get the nicest people who are so angry at the other half of the country. Yeah. Whereas in Toronto, like, I mean, Olivia Chat, like, it's a left lefty city, but people aren't arguing on the street about it. You know what I'm saying? No. Or if they are, it's not as not as much. I, that was no. the most roundabout, long-winded, non-answer to your question, what's it like living in the U.S.? <laughs> well, I always wondered. I have a life here now, um, and that life started by accident. I kind of ran away from Canada. Uh, I, I had a computer science degree. I wasn't making much money. And all my friends from university were like, at Facebook, at Google, at this, at that. And they're all making a shit ton of money. And the company I was working for sent me to a conference in San Francisco. And I just like hit up my friends from undergrad. And they start, they're like, got nice cars and nice apartments and like paying for fancy dinners. And I'm like, I don't have anything like this. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Meanwhile, I get in a big fight with my family and I don't want to be around them, which is a topic for someone else, not you. Um... And so I kind of ran away. I was 26 and I got a good job and I just kind of stayed. And all of a sudden, five years later, I got a life. I get along with my parents. I'm not, I'm not a kid who ran away anymore. I'm kind of an adult and my life is in the U.S. And that's kind of how I ended up here. I think that's how I got to compromise some of my morals and ethics and political views to end up in a country like this. I kind of came in a, in a burst of excitement and then I just never left. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. I'm only there for four days and hopefully I come back. I got a life here. So as, as beautiful as it's going to be to see you. Yeah. America for me. See, I just said it. The states for me are good in uh, small servings. I don't blame you. And I know you're just sitting there thinking, did he really bring me on the show to interview interview me about him? Uh, I guess I did. Yeah, didn't I? No, I asked the question. That's fine. Yeah. But when I ask you a question, you're like a normal human being. You take about a minute to answer. When you asked me a question, I took 45 minutes to answer, but that's not important. Ah, that's all right. That's the New Yorker in you now. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's all about you. I guess. Hey, yo. It's <laughs> very easy. See, when I was in California, I was saying totally avocado, launch over it with your longboard. Like I was starting to talk slower. Uh, I was starting to just get that California relax vibe. And then when I came to New York, it's like it's very easy stepping into the shoes of a New Yorker from Toronto because it's yeah. it kind of trains you. It, it's not the deep end. It's the shallow end of the pool. But it looks the same. The weather's kind of similar. The vibe's similar. It's got decent transit, you know. Do you find, and yes, I've had too much coffee before I, I did this interview. Do you find that when you're in New York, it's like pretty easy, you kind of get it? Or are you like, this is far from what my mental state? No, no, I, I fit in in, in in New York. Yeah. I, I like the I like the busyness. I like the noise. I like to be able to get up at, whatever time and always there's something open somewhere you know i mean but new york is the giant brother of toronto i mean it's it's everything as uh, as they say in spinal tap dialed up to 11 you know there you go yeah yeah no i love new york and you had me meet you near times square last time you were here and i'm like i can't deal with it over here i don't know why you're hanging around times square well i mean i was still a tourist and uh it was uh what was the the world cup time we needed to go Somewhere where we might have been able to watch the game, I guess. Jesus. But uh, it was also Vince recommended it, right? And he's a... Your friend, yeah. He's a Broadway actor type, so he needs to stay where the people are. There's like two reasons in my mind why you would ever want to live in Times Square. One, you're totally insane. Or two, you're involved in Broadway and acting and you want to be near where you work. 
Yeah. Those are the, uh, so your friend gets a pass if he's in that world, but I could not imagine yeah. living up there in a million years. Oh yeah. If I moved to, to, to New York, it would be in the boroughs. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd probably hit Queens cause I might meet the Ramones. I know they're dead or I might meet Spider-Man. I know he's not real, but still my belief is there. Uh, all right. So you're going to July 17th, the New York city TV film festival. It's called Dr. Cliff worldwide vet. Is that the name? That's the name of the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's very original, which is also my Instagram. So everyone hit me up. Was this too weird for you, this interview? No, it was amazing. I'll do it again. Okay. I was just like, uh, did it go too far out? Um, no, no. I'm always up for talking about uh, anal glands and the fissures might be a little bit weird, but hey, man, I'm here for you. I got to help you out. <laughs> I want you to be comfortable as well. All right. Well, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the fissures. It depends on how much fiber I'm getting. I'll bring you a cream. Uh, oh, okay. Cliff, thank you for joining me. This was a lot of fun. It was excellent, man. Thank you.